Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. We find ourselves in chapter 20 of Matthew's gospel account this morning, and we're hearing a parable that we call the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a landowner who goes out to hire day laborers early in the morning at 6 a.m. Those workers agree to work for the going rate, one denarius for a day of work. A little later at 9 a.m., the owner of the vineyard goes out again and finds another group of workers and then brings them back to begin their work, promising to pay them whatever is right, whatever is fair. The landowner does this three more times at noon, at 3 o'clock, and then right before the end of the day at 5 o'clock, he goes out and hires all of those who are still out there looking for work. When it's quitting time, everyone lines up to get paid. The landowner says, to the manager that he should start paying those who arrived last first and then work his way backward, and he pays them all a denarius. He pays them the same thing. He pays the same thing to those who arrived at five o'clock, to those who arrived at three o'clock, those who arrived at noon, and those who arrived at nine in the morning. They all get the, the same rate. And you can just imagine that those, those early risers, those who have been at it since 6 a.m., are thinking that they are going to be paid pretty well. They're pretty excited at this manager's generosity. But then they are sorely disappointed when the landowner gives them one denarius, just like everyone else. He gives gives them the same as all of the other workers, but, but no less than they agreed to work for early in the morning. And they are very miffed with the landowner. It is not fair they start to shout out to him. We worked harder than all of the others, and yet they have received the same as we did. It is not fair. And the landowner responds, friend, I have not mistreated you in any way. I paid you what you agreed to work for. Are you jealous because I am generous? That, Jesus says, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, Barbara Brown Taylor says that this parable is sort of like a fish oil tablet. She says, we know it's good for us, but it's kind of hard to swallow what Jesus is saying to us today. It's just not fair. It doesn't make sense in our worldview. I often think of flying when I hear this parable. Stick with me for a second. I I don't travel a whole lot, but when I do, I like to pay a little bit of extra money for one special perk. I'm not a terribly large person, and so I don't mind sitting in an economy seat, but the perk that I like to pay a little bit extra for is to not have to stand uh, in line for too long as the plane is boarding. I hate hate waiting in lines, and you can ask my wife this. And so I'll pay a little bit of money up front so that I can be one of those first folks on the plane. But it, it always happens that even though I pay that 15 or $20 extra, when I get there to what I think is get on the plane, there are, also, there are always uh, folks there who have better perks than I do. Those who are the platinum card holders, they get to board first before me. Those who have a million sky miles, they can go ahead and get on the plane ahead of me. Those who are redheaded and not named Andy Oliva, all of them can go on the plane ahead of me. And then I'm left standing there feeling very frustrated and saying to myself, it's not fair, it's not right. And that's when I hear Jesus whisper into my ear, Andy, that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's 
what's happening today in this parable in Matthew's gospel account. Most of us, I think, find this parable difficult because we identify with those in the story who have worked all day long in the scorching heat. It's frustrating that Jesus does, just doesn't seem to understand that, that what this landowner is doing just isn't fair. Now, the traditional interpretation of this parable is that Jesus is talking about soteriology. That is, he's talking about salvation. Jesus is talking about who will be saved, who will get into heaven. The disciples, you and me, we're meant to identify with those who have worked all day long. We come to church, we say our prayers, we feed the hungry, we give our money. We've been believers for a long time. And so we should be at the front of the line when it comes time for us to receive our reward. But Jesus turn things, turns things upside down and says that <clears throat> those who have just joined the flock, those who have only recently been confirmed, those who are still learning how to sit and stand and kneel in the church service, those folks, they are going to be ahead of us in the line. And it's not just those folks, it's the people who don't even come to church. It's the people who don't even believe in God. It's those who, who aren't even really good people. All of those people, Jesus says, they're all going to be ahead of us in the line. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Don't be jealous, don't be envious of God's generosity. That, Jesus says, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's the the traditional interpretation of this parable. But if we shift our focus, if we shift how we read and hear this story and identify with, with others in the parable, then it changes what Jesus might be saying to us today. What if instead of identifying with the, with the day laborers, we identify with, with the landowner? What if we identify with God in this story? What, what does that do to how we understand this parable? Amy Jill Levine, she's the Jewish New Testament scholar and teacher at Vanderbilt Divinity School, says that she thinks this is exactly how we should read this parable. What if she writes, we saw this parable as about what God would have us not do to earn salvation— but to love our neighbor. She says that this parable then starts to become a a little more challenging when we identify with the landowner instead of the, the day workers because it's Jesus challenging us and calling us to act. And how are we to act? Well, we're to act like the landowner. We're to act like our God, generous and gracious and kind to all of God's people, especially those who are in most need. When you read the scriptures, especially the, the gospels, it's, it's always those who are in most need who Jesus goes to first. Those who are hungry, those who are hurting, the, the sinners, the tax collectors, the Pharisees, the, the, the prostitutes. It's always those who are, in, who are in most need who Jesus goes to first. And he extends to them generosity and kindness and graciousness. How do you understand generosity, and and how do you practice it in your daily life? I've always loved the definition that the Dalai Lama gives of generosity. He says that, that generosity is the most natural outward expression of an inner attitude of compassion and kindness. I like that definition because it sounds a lot to me like the definition of a sacrament from our prayer book. If you remember from your confirmation classes, this is, this is how we define a sacrament in the Episcopal Church. We say that sacraments are outward and visible signs of inward and spiritual graces. Generosity, therefore, is one of the ways for us to express our compassion, our kindness, 
our love for others. It's, it's how we share God's grace with other people. So here are, here are three practices that, that you and I, that we can incorporate into our lives so that we can live more generously. And these are three practices that work for me. There are lots of other practices, but I offer these uh, for you this morning. The first one is, if we want to live uh, more generous lives, generous lives, then we should probably embrace gratitude. Embrace gratitude. You'll notice that those early rising day laborers were not very grateful at the end of the day when they only got paid what they agreed to work for. Instead, they were envious. They were jealous, the text says. They were very frustrated with the landowner, and so they they started to grumble. I think that, that one of the first and most basic ways that we can become more generous in our lives is, is to be thankful, to say thank you to other people. Make a list of the things in your life for which you are grateful. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friends, your education, your job, your dog, your good health. Whatever it is, make a list and offer thanks for those things. I was challenged several years ago to write at least five thank you notes a week. The challenge was that once a week at the same time, I should sit down and tell at least five people that I am grateful that they are in my life or that I should give thanks for something that they have done, and then I send it to them. I think that when we embrace gratitude, when we say thank you to other people, we realize that we've been blessed in many ways by others' generosity, but it also helps us call to mind the ways in which we can also be generous to others. So number one, embrace gratitude. Number two, spend time with generous people, with a generous person. Spend time with generous people. I think that, and I believe it, generosity is contagious. When we spend time with generous people, we are inspired by their generosity, and we begin to ask ourselves how we too can be generous with all that we have received. I love uh, Bishop Rob Wright. He's one of my favorite bishops in the Episcopal Church. He's the, the bishop of the Diocese of Atlanta. And I like him because he's a great preacher and he's a great teacher, but he's extremely generous in his life. Uh, A a few years ago on Dr. King's birthday, uh, Bishop Wright decided that he would spend the day working with Atlanta's sanitation crew, those trash collectors down in that city. He woke up early in the morning and met with them. He prayed with them. He listened to their stories. And then he said to them, he said this, church and religion aren't just a Sunday thing. He said, Jesus lived and worked every day among people whose lives were hard and who needed the presence of someone who cared about them. Bishop Wright said to those trash collectors, I care about you. And then he put on one of those little orange reflective vests over his purple clergy shirt and his clergy collar, and he spent the day hanging off the back of a trash truck in Atlanta so that he can learn what it is those men and women do every day. And then in the days since, he's committed his life to working on behalf of those men and women, to working to make sure that they have a good, fair, living wage. Spend time with generous, loving people, and you might be inspired what they, by what they are doing and want to give back as well. The third and final thing that I offer for you today is, is show up. Find something that you believe in and show up. Find a cause, a person, an organization that you believe in and support that group. 
I'm most generous towards those organizations or causes that, that I believe in. I believe in the church. I believe that this church, St. John's Church, does really good and holy and important work. So Catherine and I, when we're thinking about how we want to give our money each year, we try to be generous in how we give back to this place. And I hope that you all find something good and important and holy at St. John's Church too. But there are other wonderful organizations as well. Find those. Show up. Find something or someone that you believe in and then give back. Support it financially. Support it as a way of saying that that you believe in that organization, that you are committed, that you want to be invested in it. Three easy ways for us to be generous, to live more generous lives. How how do you practice generosity in your day-to-day life? The parable that we hear today tells of a of God's generosity, not just to, to you and to me, but to all of God's people. It's almost scandalous when we hear it because we've, we've bought into this, this economy, this understanding of scarcity. But, but God's kingdom, God's economy, we're told, is based not on scarcity but, scarcity, but on abundance. And there is always more than enough to go around. The challenge, the call, I think, is to live our lives not with, with closed fist and closed hands tight next to our body, but with open hands and open hearts and open lives. This call that we hear today is a, a call to be more like God, generous and kind and benevolent. For that, Jesus says, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Amen.